0: Hello and welcome to the Simple Marketing Solutions Podcast, where we provide easy to follow marketing advice for small business owners. I'm your host, Amita, and today I get to interview Julie Parker from Practice Success. She is an amazing dental practice consultant and coach who has worked with dental teams for over 35 years. At the tender age of 33, Julie became the first non-dentist to own a dental practice in Australia. And Julie works with dental teams, both on site and online, to help them achieve greater success with their practices. Today, our topic is Dental Practice Management Made Easy. Good morning, Julie. It's so lovely to have you here. I'm so excited for today's episode and getting to know you a bit more and allowing our audience to tap into all that years of wealth of knowledge that you've got in there.
1: (laughs) Thank you, Amita. It's an absolute delight to be invited. Thank you so much.
0: My pleasure. Julie, just so that our audience can get to know you a bit more personally, did you want to share where your journey started in
1: practice management and where you are today with it. Yeah, sure thing. So I was uh, one of those many people that aren't all that great at school. I didn't enjoy turning up. <laughs> <laughs> so back when I was 17, I was you know unceremoniously booted out of school and my father was away on a business trip at the time. And my mother said to me, well, one thing I know for sure, since you're not going to school, you will have a job by the time he gets back. And so I heard a friend had gone into dental assisting because you don't need any skills or training. And so I just started ringing through the yellow pages from A all the way through. And eventually I got an interview with with somebody with a surname starting with R. And thankfully, because I got one simple mathematical equation correct in the interview, he hired me. (laughs) But I think that's, you know, that's the way a lot of people fall into their industries. They fall into it, don't they? And at that young age, I had no idea what I wanted to do, but I just loved it and was fulfilling all the different roles over the years, dental assistant, receptionist, patient coordinator, all these sort of roles. And then when I was 33, I did my first kind of Entrance into NLP or neuro linguistic programming, and I loved that space. And I thought, I think I want to own my own dental practice. And so I started all the visioning and you know adopting the identity of and all the things. Mm. And yeah, six months later, I was standing in my own practice, thinking, "What the hell happened? I don't understand what happened." (laughs) So it was really wonderful. And owned that for ten years. And as we all know, your market out there, your listeners out there, uh, all have their own businesses and. It's a challenging time, and exciting time. You feel like you're always out there on the limb outside your comfort zone, but all of a sudden you get really hooked on that learning and self-improvement, which is one of my core values moving through. So I'm now 52, 52, and my journey come, had come around to after I sold my practice of 10 years, I became a dental practice consultant, and I've been doing that for the past dozen years. And more recently, over the last short number of years, been collaborating with another dental practice consultant, Amina. And she and I are great buddies and we work very well together, thank goodness. And so we've been doing a whole bunch more stuff combined again. So I've gone from working with a team to working by myself and freaking out that I had no one to discuss things with. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> back into working with somebody and unlearning my bad habits of learning, of working by myself that only I had the good ideas
0: <laughs> yes that and is so I finally definitely. settled
1: back into this nice collaborative space again
0: <laughs> nice nice and what
1: would have been one
0: of the worst habits you think you developed um, when you were working all by yourself
1: just that, just that, that the only opinion that mattered was mine. And if mm. I hadn't already discovered it, wasn't worth discovering. And I really had to catch myself. And mm. uh, and I said to Amina, I feel like I'm on a journey because I'm coming up with all this resistance when you offer really good ideas. <laughs> so I was very open with her about the whole thing. And we are, we do have a very open, frank relationship, which I think is needed when you, do, when you have got a partner in business. You need to have that caring that loving caring for the other person because that help, that sort of level of relationship helps sustain you through your journey mm. uh, but you need to have that um kind of give each other that permission to grow into the role together as well and not think oh doesn't seem to be working after the first few months and so we should just abandon ship yeah. uh, so, and she's been a lovely generous soul as well and so with that open communication we're always on the same page moving forward mm-hmm. and of course we don't do anything unless we've got mutual agreement with it so we can mm-hmm. come to the come to the table with as many ideas as we like but it does take us both agreeing to that to move forward with it. And it's never off the table. All the great ideas stay on the table, but we choose the one that we're both on board with and move forward with that. And It's worked well so far.
0: Mm. I think that that's a really important factor to take into account when you do choose to either do just small collaborations with other people um, and partnerships, or actually have somebody come into your business and set up a joint um, partnership long-term, that there is that openness trust and honesty as well and respect um for each other's opinions, thoughts, and all your years of experience, you know, coming to the table as well. So that's really handy to know that it's been working well for you and that you've been open to it.
1: <laughs> it doesn't always work well. I'm sure there's situations out there where it can be you know heads butting up against each other, but thank goodness we've been yeah. working well so far.
0: That's great. Um, and Julie you know you've obviously got so many years of experience working um, in the dental um field, but you know in health generally, private practice generally is the same with the challenges that you've noticed with health professionals. What do you feel are the the three biggest challenges right now?
1: Well one of the biggest challenges that- it's been really you know coming to a pointy head over the past couple of years has been recruitment it feels Mm. like I don't know if it's the same in every health industry I've got a feeling it's the same world over or western world over that all of a sudden the pool of people we've got to choose from is very small and so this recruitment issue seems to be rising up as a big one and the things that are required to overcome that they are really challenging some of the core beliefs and directives that we have within ourselves subconsciously as business owners things such as how much i believe a certain role is worth being paid per hour mm. but when demand goes up and supply is low of course the you know the fees go up you know the the price of that goes up and so i think that's been a big hurdle to to overcome as well
0: mm. and
1: but tied in with that as well is that openness to getting less skilled people into the role and training them on the job sometimes mm. we think they're going to take us such an enormous amount of time energy money that we avoid it and we resist yeah. that but sometimes that can be actually the best way to go and when you really get down to the nuts and bolts of it, when you think about okay how long would it actually take me to train this person in this role such as a dental assistant in my world for example yeah My husband asked this question, how long would it actually take to train someone like Jessica, who is our niece, you know, smart girl, how long would it take to train her in dental assisting? And I said at the start, I thought, oh, my gosh, it would take such a long time. Well, let me think. And then I thought, hmm, (laughs) maybe half a day. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because what often happens is half a day to get the orientation, this is where things are at, this is why we do certain things and how what success looks like. But the rest of that training and learning is practice and repetition, modifying as we go, getting to know how to do the thing, getting to know how to master the thing. And so the rest of the time is then that practice and modif- modification process. And uh, so sometimes it's worthwhile as a manager or business owner to think, how long would it actually take me to teach the stuff? Because all I have to do then is provide support while that practice process is going on.
0: Mm, mm. You
1: know, and that's a really good point because I
0: find over the years, you know, um, with my practices in the natural health industry as a naturopath, when I was in practice, I always, I actually really enjoyed employing um, individuals who hadn't had a lot of experience Because I find that they were a lot more open and receptive to learning. Um, And also you could train them in the ways that you wanted your business to be running rather than them coming with a whole lot of old habits that may not suit your business as well. Um, And if you've got processes written down. I find that that makes a big difference too.
1: (laughs) That's a big difference. They need as much support as they can get. And I agree with you that there are definitely benefits to getting someone who's very well experienced in the role and has worked at many other businesses in the past in that space. But you do get those drawbacks where they can become quite rigid. This is just the way I do things, you know, this is the way we did it there. So this is the way I'm gonna do it here. And they can lose some of that flexibility. And when you are hiring somebody who is not skilled in that particular space you start to then throw all of your attention on their characteristics that they've got, their personal characteristics. And that, as we know, it's been spoken about and written about so much. That is a better way of appealing to the kind of person that's going to work well in your organisation. If you've got a very you know, health-related service where we do require a lot of compassion, caring, yeah politeness professionalism as characteristics within a person they're very difficult things to train into somebody and certainly some characteristics like honesty and uh, respect of privacy they either have that or they don't yeah
0: very true very true um and those characteristics like you said they're they're hard to come by and if you can find somebody that aligns with those values and the the characteristics that you know are important and have identified as relevant to your industry, then I think that's half the battle done already. And then, yeah, the rest is all trainable. Yeah. At the end of the day. And I
1: think the kind of the side-by-side thing with the recruitment, so I do kind of encourage people to... Uh, hire unskilled and train on the job because it's a good thing you were talking about systems before. It's Mm. a very good thing to start to document how you train somebody because Mm. you've got the system and you, then you are less resistant to get a non-skilled person in next time because we've got the setup here. We've got the structure here. But what's uh, side by side that is also, you know, that wonderful book, and it's gone out of my head. Who wrote it? The book around, you know, you got to get the right people on the bus in the right seats on the bus mm. as a way mm. of recognising you know, hire people to the to their strengths and and put them in the right roles within your organisation where their strengths can shine. Yes. And something I'm finding myself saying quite often to dental practice owners and managers is. The very first step in your recruitment process is to identify and with yourself in your, your work that you do a meter, how important is it to find out who the avatar is. So we actually know who we're speaking to and who we're creating the customer experience for or the client experience for. But do the same from a recruitment perspective too. Think to yourself and have a discussion as a group with your team, who do we, will fit perfectly into what we want to achieve with this business. What characteristics would they have? Uh, What eagerness for learning and trying new things? How are they with clients? Are they they as a team member? How do they take direction? Do they have a desire to consistently improve? So you really create an avatar for your ideal team member. Mm. And don't go straight to writing the job ad yet because now you know how to speak to them. Because what can happen is that you know how to speak to them. You are appealing to them. They come along for an interview. But when they see you use the structure of your business, they think to themselves, this isn't quite for me. So you've got to make sure your bus is right for them as well. That's mm. a bit, one of the very first steps is to identify who your team member avatar is and then create a bus that that type of person would love to work in and then start advertising and recruiting.
0: <laughs> I love that analogy. It's a great one, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And you're right, it does work both ways um, because you do want them to come in and feel, oh my God, this is the place I want to learn in. And mm-hmm. I feel drawn to everybody that's there, the clients that you work with and yeah. And you're building hopefully a longer term relationship and opportunity there as well, instead of that fast turnaround with star that yeah. can sometimes happen too. Um, and Julie, I was reading on your website and you talk about this canny, and never ending improvement. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> How you first of all came up with that if you did and you know how you see that playing out for business owners
1: i'm not brilliant enough to come up with that one by myself. <laughs> <laughs> but it was tony robbins uh, self-development guru from america yes. and he took it from i think a lot of the stuff he took a lot of lessons from jim Rohn, uh who's mm. now gone to god i think but um it was from that it comes from kaizen which is a japanese production line uh, philosophy that mm. um, it's about uh, constant never-ending improvement which is what can I is and mm. so Kai's and I think Kai and Zen both mean uh, improvement and it's con- and c- constant improvement and mm. so Tony Robbins talks about constant and never-ending improvement so the acronym of C-A-I- C-A-N-I mm. so it can be canny it can be can I depending on who you're listening to and When I, I was following Tony Robbins a lot when I started getting exposed to all the NLP stuff years Mm. ago in my 20s and absolutely loved it, loved his work, really jumped on board with all the stuff that he was talking about. But then it was when I owned my own practice that I started to really apply this can I, can he principle and how difficult it can be to apply it. And so when I go into dental teams now, I do say, you know, think of all the characteristics that you want to really foster in this environment, and surely one of them has to be growth. You know, we want to be able to grow. We want to be able to get better at what we do. So we are always changing with the different demands of the industry and our market and also the personal demands and desires of the team members that we work with. Life is about evolving, isn't it, and responding and embracing the need for change. And In order to really truly adopt the value of constant and never-ending improvement or growth, we need to do a few things. And I've really kind of nutted them down to four things. Number one, we need to really embrace the feelings of incompetency that we naturally have before we try anything new. We don't know how to do it yet. We don't know what it feels like doing it. We don't know what kind of results we're going to get from doing the new thing or doing the thing that we're currently doing quite differently. And so if you can liken it to there's been a new software program that you have to learn for your work, at the very start, you'd be like, what? <laughs> like, this is also confusing. How am I ever going to make sense of this? This is terrible. My wife, my life is terrible. I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> and those feelings of incompetency can really prevent us from wanting to learn and going down that path of learning. And there's four quadrants of of competence. Have you heard of the yeah Conscious incompetence, when we don't know how to do things that we yes. don't know how to do about. So ignorance is bliss. And then we move into conscious incompetence. So we start learning the new thing. We become very aware of how we don't know how to do it. And they often use the analogy of driving a car for the first time. You don't know how to use the pedals, how to use the steering wheel. You don't know any of it. Yeah. So you become very aware of all the things you don't know. And that's the most uncomfortable space. I just don't know anything, but I need to get over this learning process to actually learn all the things that's uncomfortable. But then we quickly move into after practice and repetition into the third quadrant, which is conscious competence. We are becoming now competent at driving the car, for example, using the software program. We're still very much thinking intensely about it. So if we're driving a car, we would be out on the roads because we're competent now but if we had somebody conducting an in-depth conversation with us socially we wouldn't be able to fully engage in that because we're so busy using our conscious brain to think about the accelerator the brake the indicator that's steering the things but then eventually after enough practice and repetition we become masters at the thing and we've moved into the fourth quadrant which is unconscious competence We are competent in that stuff and we no longer have to think about it anymore. And we love that Mm -hmm. space. The only one that stops us from wanting to really adopt new skills is quadrant two, conscious incompetence. I hate feeling like I don't know how to do things. And so that's one of the things that we need to embrace as a team and as an individual if we want to grow. The second is becoming very comfortable with feedback. Mm. And feedback as the receiver of feedback, but even as the deliverer of feedback, it's all Mm. uncomfortable. We don't get Mm. trained in how to do it. We don't get to do it in a positive way a lot of the time. We're drilled into as a young child that feedback is always bad and terrible and, you know, you feel uncomfortable if you don't know what to do with it. But feedback can be an enormously helpful thing. We will be able to identify in our own conscious brain about things that we are aware of about ourselves quite often growth happens in a space that we're not aware of as yet but maybe other people are aware of. And so if we can shift our perception the meaning we attach to feedback to fantastic another opportunity to become better, then all of a sudden we can rather than resist it, we embrace it and we just fast track our learning so mm. much when we start asking for active feedback from people around us. The third element to embrace of course is mistakes. Because we don't learn anything without making mistakes.
0: <laughs> <We're> <laughs> <sure>. <laughs> and
1: it is something one of the another one of those things like feedback that's drilled into us from a young person. You've got to try to avoid making mistakes. No, yeah. mistakes is a sign of having tried. Mistakes is a sign that we are willing to try something that we're not competent at yet. Recognising we're going to make mistakes, but that's exactly how we learn.
0: Yeah.
1: And there's a brilliant man, uh, Buckminster Fuller. And he was an American. He died in 83, I think. But he was such a brilliant man. He had earned 47 honorary doctorates. Brilliant (laughs) Extraordinary. And I don't know if I can relay his whole quote. I won't be able to. But he has said, because he was an inventor and a philosopher and all the things, and he has said it's very unfortunate that from a young child, We are told that mistakes are a bad thing, Mm. but everything I have ever learned, everything I have ever invented has been the result of making mistakes because Mm. you find out with mistakes what isn't and therefore you find out what is. And it's another thing that leaders, managers, team members, personally ourselves, if we shift our meaning of mistakes Mm. and embrace them instead, then all of a sudden, again, fast track to growth and learning. Mm. And the final element that we need to embrace with constant never-ending improvement is providing ourselves and others that opportunity of practice and repetition. Again, practice and repetition. I've taught you the thing now. I'm here as a support. I'll be observing, playing a helping hand, but I recognize for myself and for everyone around me that now it's the journey of practice, 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 and that's when we end up developing mastery
0: yeah yeah and you're so right thank you so much for all of that amazing information I'm like wrapping my head around everything it was so useful to just be reminded of those um, those four quadrants and you know and also coming back to the point of mistakes um, when you know I, I feel like we actually probably have to take it that step back and start with the younger generation, with the kids and retraining them to believe that, yes, mistakes are not a bad thing. Remove that negative connotation with it. And, you know, as the next generation comes through, hopefully we'll clear that up. Um, From a conscious perspective. Because it's
1: coming from a good space. You love your child. So the intention is pure, but it's not recognizing how we actually learn and grow.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Yes. And I definitely
1: am a firm believer
0: that mistakes, as much as we tell ourselves that we don't want to make mistakes, but that is where the real learning comes from. And I find that in my own world, it's where it sinks in and you really. Are able to see how that mistake can be a real point for learning something new and realizing that you do have the ability in you to overcome that as well, not just walk away when things feel hard.
1: Yeah, yeah. And telling ourselves these different meanings, these different messages that we Mm. attach to things like mistakes. That's a practice and repetition thing as well, because yeah. you're not going to say it to yourself once and be a convert subconsciously.
0: Yeah.
1: You're still going to feel uncomfortable with the mistake space. But if you continue yeah. practicing that new and repeating that new meaning that you're attaching to it, then you will find slowly you're you're making a positive shift.
0: Exactly, exactly, changing the the neural pathways. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I love it, and. For you, Julie, what would be your biggest win in your career so far?
1: It was definitely my whole world changed when I bought my own practice. So I was the first non dentist to buy a practice in Australia. Oh, wow! And when I and it was something that, as I said before, six months prior, I didn't even have an aspiration for it. I would not normally have thought that I was capable of it because I was kicked out of school early, and I'm, I, you know, I'm not in that space of being able to achieve something like that. And when I did that, all of a sudden, the way people in business communicated with me was wildly different. It's like they they had more credibility in me or I, I generated more credibility in myself. And the areas that I were was becoming concerned with were far more about the patients, the team, the business, and less about me and my sole existence within the role that I had in whatever dental practice that I was working in. And so I really do reflect back as that point was it was it just shifted completely. And they talk about, you know, when you if you took a if you had a rocket taking off from Earth and intending to learn on the moon, you only have to adjust the flight plan by, you know, tiny, tiny percent. And it goes way off course. I yeah. felt like, you know, I was certainly on the course for one particular way. And I think that was the 1% that triggered a different course. And my life since then has been wildly different. And, of course, at the start, you think you've got the whole imposter syndrome. I don't think I can do this. I'm going to fail. Oh, my goodness. And and through the NLP stuff that I was listening to, I thought, no, I'm really going to look at this fear in the face and pretend I have failed. And I imagined and I fantasized failing, having that conversation with everybody and recognizing that no one dies if you fail. that there's every chance that you won't fail as well but even if you did no one dies it's everything's groovy it's all part of life's experiences and then I started to become more free with the way I was managing everything and the decisions that I was making because now I was just trying things that I thought would work and trying it out rather than trying to avoid failure and so the self-awareness journey for me at that point of buying my own practice just Mm. changed the existence that I have right now.
0: Mm. Amazing. Amazing, the power of, you know, seeing, I love how you described it, where you put yourself in that mindset of thinking, what if I failed? What is that going to look like for me? And the world doesn't collapse. You're still there. (laughs) Everybody's
1: still okay. Um, No one's pointing and laughing. (laughs)
0: Exactly. Exactly. Um, And and we're able to get through it. Um so well done on being able to do that within 6 months just because you put your mindset to it and there is real power in that. Yeah, thank um, you. Before we wrap up I wanted to ask you if there was one piece of advice that you find yourself giving repeatedly to health professionals to business owners um and it's the one thing that people need to hear.
1: The first thing, I don't know if it's the best one, but the first one that came to my mind when you asked that question, Amita, was a fantastic phrase of tell me more about that. And so when you have got a patient that doesn't want to come back to see your business anymore and they've changed location to have that inquiry, oh, tell me more about that. What was it about the service that you didn't enjoy? Or what was it about the other practice that encouraged you to go there? If there was a team member that was acting poorly, maybe they had an attitude shift rather than functioning and managing it from a very surface level then bring it down and go to that person and say tell me more about that I've noticed this behavior change tell me more about that what's it what, what's, been, what's been going on for you and even for ourselves as well when we feel oh I'm angry today or I'm totally frustrated today or I'm impatient today or even I'm happy and I feel inspired I'm more motivated than I was yesterday." we think to ourselves, tell me more about that. It's sometimes we stick at the surface level stuff and we think that's the stuff that we're supposed to be managing, but quite often it's just that layer or two deeper. And that's when we start to get more of a truthfulness around what we're dealing with and a more and that's the re- where the reality resides. And so I would say just that level of inquiry. Tell me more about that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I like it. I like it. Tell me more about that. I'm going to write that on a sticky note. Thank you so much, Julie. And Julie, um, again, before we go, is there anything you wanted to share with our audience in terms of um, a free resource or content that you wanted to direct them to?
1: Sure thing. I've got my website, Julie Parker, success.com. Mm-hmm. And even though I'm in the dental space, there's a whole bunch. I mean, all health services are very similar in the way they've managed patients and there's a patient experience, a professional duty of care, all the things. Yeah. And we often attract the same kind of people into the workplace from a team member perspective as well. And so even if you were from a different modality of health, jump to the website. There is a couple of podcasts that I do that you might find really helpful. They are found there. And there's a free resources page there as well, where you can just have a look through all the resources, download whatever you feel is useful. And hopefully that can provide some kind of assistance to everybody out there.
0: Fantastic. I'll put the link to your website and the free resources as well in the show notes for everybody. Thanks. Again, thank you, Julie, for being so open and sharing so much value in today's podcast episode. Really appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Amita. I had an absolute ball. <laughs>
0: thank you for listening to the Simple Marketing Solutions Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review if you find this episode useful. If you have friends or colleagues that you think would gain value from these episodes, Please share the link with them. And as always, keep it simple. Until next time, my friends, happy marketing.